As it said they were going to do. They were disobedient to God. They went off whoring after other gods. They began to build their high places and their altars and did not just worship in Jerusalem, began to make sacrifices to other gods, get into all sorts of disobedience. They were taken into captivity out of the land. They would not keep the Sabbaths. And in disobedience, they're taken out. And when God got ready to take them back to the promised land and to rebuild the temple through Cyrus, he sent them back to rebuild the temple then Nehemiah, in establishing that again in the 10th chapter, told them exactly how they were to handle the tithes and the offerings again. To bring to the house of God unto the priests that minister in the house of our God. All right. Nehemiah 10, verses 35 through 37. And to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of all trees year by year unto the house of the Lord, also the firstborn of our sons and our cattle, as it is written in the law unto the priest to the chambers of the house of our God and the tithes of our ground unto the Levites that the same Levites might have the tithes in all the cities of our tillage and the priest the son of Aaron shall be with the Levites when the Levites take tithes and Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes into the house of our God to the chambers into the treasure house for the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offerings of the corn of the new wine and the oil into the chambers where are the vessels of the sanctuary and the priests that minister and the porters and the singers and we will not forsake the house of our God. He said, now we're coming back. God says, let's reestablish it and here's how we're going to do it. Let's get obedient again. All the tithes, all the offerings, all the first fruits back to the Levites who also will share the tithe of the tithes with the priests so that the singers and the worshipers and the workers and the work of God can go on. Now that's when it was reestablished. When Nehemiah rebuilt the temple, God did not change his mind. Now, let me just stop for a moment. I, I didn't write it out in my notes, but some people say, well, there is no storehouse today. Let me explain to you the purpose of the storehouse. Today, when we bring our tithes and offerings, very seldom do I see a sack of potatoes and a bag of onions and, you know, that sort of thing laying up here at the altar. We don't do that anymore. Now, out in farming areas, I know of a pastor out in Iowa, and boy, I used to say, boy, Lord called me to Iowa. That particular man had a lot of farmers in his church, and they bought him two big freezers, and every fall, the women would can and the men would butcher and they would fill their freezers full of frozen vegetables, frozen fruits, and frozen meats. Now that was the tithe, part of their tithe they brought in. And what was it for? For the support of God's servant to do the work of God. Now the rest of the tithe came in to do the work of the church. The storehouse was there because they brought in grain and they brought in fruit. And all the Levites who lived right around the area of the temple or of the tabernacle, either one, they came to there. It was like having a general pantry. It's like having a co-op down here at the military base. So those of you that are in the military, you have a co-op where all the military people can go and buy at a special price. The Levites could go in and take whatever they needed and take it home with them. They needed that facility. Well, that's not necessary today. Our whole means of exchange is different today. Most farmers will go out and sell their grain, sell their crops, sell their animals, sell their fruit. Then they'll bring the tithes and their offerings to the Lord's work. Now, just because we don't have a, a lean-to out here on the side of the building that's called a storehouse does not mean that God has changed His provision and His purpose for the tithes and the offerings. Now, I know there are a lot of radio preachers that will tell you, oh, yes, there's no storehouse today. You just send it wherever you want to. Do whatever's right in your own eyes. I don't find that in God's Word. God said when you get into the land and you get freedom, 
You don't have to depend on me day by day for manna and clothes and all the rest of it. Don't you forget then that all the tithe at all times is to go always completely to the house of the Lord. That's what God's Word says. Now, let's just go right on over to the New Testament. Some people say now we're under the New Covenant, we're under grace. And again, I say the covenant was not involved in the Old Testament. It became a part of the program in the Old Testament. It has moved right on over into the New Testament. Tithe has always been God's method of supporting God's work and God's servants. And again, I want to say this, and I hope that you can write this down. Grace is not the power. I got this from Bill Gothard, and I like it. To do what we want to do. Rather, the ability to do what we ought to do. When somebody starts talking to you about grace, you remember that grace is not the power to do what you want to do. It's the ability to do what you ought to do. There was a time before I got saved that I couldn't quit drinking and smoking and cussing and all the rest of it. I didn't have the power to do it. But when God's grace was manifested to me, He gave me the ability to do what I ought to do and not the power to do what I wanted to do. Now then, some say, well, Jesus didn't preach tithing. No, He didn't preach it. It'd be as ridiculous for Him to preach that as for me to come in and preach to you what a morning service is supposed to be. Everybody knew what the tithe was. He affirmed it. He confirmed it completely. By the way, now we've jumped right over from the Old Covenant into the New Covenant. Turn to Matthew 23, 23 to show you where Jesus affirmed it and confirmed it. This would be number 7. It would be ridiculous for Jesus to get up and teach on the tithe in, to the Jews in the New Testament. They already understood His principle, His purpose, His beginning. They followed it through. Everybody did it. That was obedient to God. But in chastening the, the Pharisees, listen to what he said. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. Now what he was saying is what you do is you are so particular about your tithe, you'll go out into your little herb beds and you'll meticulously count. Oh, I've got seven, eighty of them. Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Takes eight little twigs of herbs and tie them up in a little bundle and come to the, to the Levites and say, I want you to know now I have eighty sprigs of this. Everybody, I want, I've got eighty sprigs of this, this mint and, and, and I want you to know that there are eight of them here. Now you understand that. That's it. Now, now the, here's the next one. This is cute. I had 120 of those. Here are 12. And they just went to ridiculous ends so everybody knew what the Pharisee said when he went to the temple. Lord, I thank thee that I'm not as other men. I tithe of all that I possess. He did. And everybody knew it. And he was the first to tell you. And that's what Jesus was saying about them. And he says, you have omitted the weightier matters of the law. Judgment, mercy, and faith. Now, he goes back and says... These things that you were doing, you ought to have done. You should tithe. Not in the way you're doing it. Jesus later said when you tithe, do it quietly. By that it doesn't mean don't, let, don't know what you're doing completely. It just simply means don't flaunt it in the face of everyone else. But he said you ought to tithe. But don't leave the other things undone. That's why he said that the publican went away pounding himself on the chest saying, God be merciful to me a sinner. He said that man went down to his house justified. This other guy over here didn't. Why? Because he was so proud of what he had done, fasting and tithing and all those good things, but the weightier matters he left out. Jesus didn't say that he was totally wrong. He said you ought to do the things that you're doing, but also do these other things. He affirmed it there. Now, for those that say, well, I still believe it's under the law, I would rather give New Testament giving. I'll give you a couple of examples of New Testament giving. First of all, Mark 12, 41 through 44 
And then Luke 19, 8 and 9. I'm not going to read them to you. I'm just going to tell you about them. Jesus said in Mark, the 12th chapter, about the widow who came to the temple. He watched the rich men come by and drop their big bags of money into the treasury and walk away pompous and proud. And this widow came up and dropped in her two mites, a couple of pennies. And Jesus said, that woman has given more than all of them put together. Why? The kind of giving she illustrated, Jesus said, I want the whole world to know about it. She gave everything that she had. Everything that she had. Jesus said, that's what I call giving. Everything that you have. So if you don't like to tithe, then give everything you have. You want to give New Testament giving, if you're still bound by the New Covenant, give everything that you have. But let me tell you something. In most cases, when people say that I'm not under the old law, what they're actually saying is I'm covetous and I'm not about to give up what's mine. If they don't want to give according to what God's Word says, they'll say, well, I give, I'm a New Testament, I'm free, I'm, I'm under grace, I'm not bound by the law. You check them out, in most cases, they're living selfishly for themselves what they want to do. And they're finding an excuse to get out of giving and returning to the Lord what is His. Then, uh, you've got to turn to that Luke. You've got to see that. Luke 19. You know the story, Zacchaeus, the little short fella that couldn't see over the heads of the crowd, so he climbed up in a tree, and you Sunday school boys and girls know what did Jesus say, Zacchaeus, come down from going to your house for tea. But the thing is that Zacchaeus was a tax collector of tax collectors. He was a very crooked man, a very dishonest man, basically, according to the word. People didn't want to have anything to do with him because he was a Jew collecting taxes from the Jewish people. The Romans had come around to these men and say, look, for this particular area, the city of Lake Mary and Longwood, uh, give me $20,000, then you get whatever you want to out of the people. And they would go out and, boy, they would check everything you had, your closet, your pantry, your basement, your uh, barn, everything, and they'd just exact every cent out of you they could. And the Jews hated them, taking taxes from their own people. But let me show you what Jesus said about Zacchaeus there in verses 8 and 9. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, after he had gone to lunch with him at his home, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. Now, if you don't believe in tithing, start this New Testament giving. Half I give to the poor of all my goods. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Now, brother, you call it what you want to. I call that repentance. Now, I want you to see that because Jesus has something to say about that kind of change of heart. First of all, I'm giving half of everything I have to the poor just to make up for past mistakes. And then if I have really messed someone up or cheated someone, I'm going to give it back to them fourfold. Now, listen to what Jesus said. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house. For as much as he also is the son of Abraham. What was he saying? This man has repented of his sins. You can see a change of heart in him. Now that's New Testament giving. If you don't want to be under what you call bondage, give half of all you have to the poor and then give back fourfold everything else you have. That's New Testament giving. The New Testament method of how to give. Matthew 6, 1 through 4. And I already told you what it is. That's, he's talking about giving it secretly, not giving it, publicizing it, saying to everybody how much you give and, and making it well known. I've been in churches where they'll say, everybody's going to give $5,000. Stand up now, just raise your hand. Everybody's going to give $1,000. Jesus said, no, 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 not that. If you want to give it, you just quietly give it in between you and the Lord. I've had some people say, well, it says not to let your right hand know what your left hand giveth, so I don't know what I'm giving. I won't say anything about any more about that. I don't think I have to. Number eight. Let's get, for those dispensationalists, let's get over into the epistles now. When to give. And boy, I wish you could hear some of the gandy dancers they do on this one. 1 Corinthians 16, 2. 
1 Corinthians 16.2 Paul was speaking now to the Corinthian church about giving an, an offering special offering too upon the first day of the week let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him that there be no gatherings when I come Paul the apostles now when you get together on the first day of the week I want you to at that time put in your offerings don't hold them back Put them in and store them. Some people say, oh, no, that isn't what he's saying at all. He's saying that since that's payday, first day of the week, that's payday, that's the day to see how much you've got and to keep it in your pocket until Paul comes. You read other translations that says, get it all gathered together so that when I come, I'll know it's there. Now, if that's what it meant, it would mean that the person coming would have to go from house to house to house and say, how much have you got and how much have you got and how much have you got? That isn't what he was saying. What happens on the first day of the week? Acts chapter 20, verse 7. And upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech till midnight. The first day of the week is when the believers gathered together and they had preaching services, breaking of bread, teaching, fellowshipping together with God's Word. Paul says in Corinthians, when you come together now on the first day of the week, as God has prospered, you bring the money in. What do you mean by that? Well, he's saying this, if you're making $100 a week and you bring in $10, that's tithe. But if you're making $1,000 a week and you bring in $100... Do you think that that's fair in God's sight that you get to live on $900 and your brother gets to live on $100? That's what he's talking about. As God has prospered you, the greater God's blessings are upon you, the greater your responsibility. I, I really believe that it is a responsibility more than a blessing to receive much in the way of material goods from the Lord. You're going to be held responsible. And I, I can get into some of those verses later on, but it says, beware. Those of you that are rich, be careful. Look out. Don't get fooled by the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world. Don't get taken up with that thing. You're going to be held responsible for it. But that's what it means. As God hath prospered you. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7. Now here you have a case where they're getting ready to give a gift to another church. He's beginning to establish now in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, what the purpose for giving would really be and how, to, how we're supposed to give it in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7. Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard or eateth, and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth the flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things of a, as a man, or saith not the law the same also? Oh, he's saying this is also being spoken of in the Old Covenant. For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of an ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Now, you remember what Bill Gothard, some of you said this last week? You say, well, back there they were talking about oxen. Bill, and Bill says, do you think that's all he was talking about? And that's what Paul was saying. He's saying there's a principle involved here. You don't muzzle an ox when he's going through the cornfield. You don't, you don't make a soldier pay his own way. What he was saying is when someone is doing a work and a service, they are, those that are being served are obligated to take care of that one. Now, Paul is teaching this not under the Old Covenant. Verse 10, Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, that is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and that he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you, here's the, th here's the bottom line now, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather... Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer thing, all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? Now, he's using the old covenant illustration, isn't he? And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Now, get this. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should what? 
Now, what does that mean? Live of the gospel? It means exactly what it meant in the Old Testament. God has ordained that the tithes and the offerings of God's people, all the tithes, are to be brought into God's work to support God's servant who's ministering to you. I'm not preaching this for my benefit, I'll guarantee you. God's my source and no one else is. But you know it goes on to say that when it comes to giving, we should be giving cheerfully. Cheerfully, hilariously, actually. And if we're giving grudgingly to the Lord's work, you might as well keep it. Because it's evidence of covetousness on your part and not having a comprehension of who you really are in God's sight, having been redeemed by the blood. Now he says, if you don't understand what God's saying here, if you don't understand that none of it is yours, and God's saying, I just want you to return to me the tithe, and as God honors you and blesses and prospers you, uh, proportionately support God's work. If you don't understand that, well then don't do it. God loves a hilarious giver who just says, glory to God, he is my source and my blessing. And he says, in the, to the degree in which you give, you shall what? Reap, you shall receive. Give and it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. And I love what Bill Gothard said about that. He said that actually what he's saying, when you give to the Lord, when men would go to the market to buy grain, they would argue about the price of grain. And they'd walk in and say, if you had any grain, if, is there any grain around? The guy said, market man says, well, there may be some grain around, not very much. It's really short right now. He said, well, if, if anybody around had any grain, how much would they charge? Well, I suppose if they had some, it would be this much. And he said, well, boy, if anybody had any at that price, I just couldn't buy it. About all I could pay would be thus and such. And they go on bickering like that till finally he says, well, if, if I happen to have some, he said, I think I would sell it for about this much. He said, well, if you would have some, then I would probably pay you this much. And when they finally said, okay, that's how much it is, he would pay him, he would take his little jar, wheat jar, back into the back of the store and set it down and he would pour in the wheat himself. And then he'd shake it. And he'd pour in some more wheat and he'd shake it, shake it, shake it. He'd pour in a little more wheat and shake it, press it down, bang it, you know, just get it settled as far as he could. And he'd keep doing it and he'd pile it up on the top to where just every grain that would fit on the lip would fit. And then that wasn't enough. You know if he built it up like that, he couldn't carry it away like that. So he takes his robe and he folds his robe out like this and he dumps it into his robe and he takes that whole jar away and that's exactly what Jesus was saying and you give to the Lord, he gives back, pressed down, shaking together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. So you can dump it over in your bosom, won't even hold it all. Not a beautiful illustration? But he says it only happens to those that give bountifully in obedience to God's word. Now, let me tell you my concern. I know that all disobedience is sin. And if we are even unknowingly walking in disobedience, some of the blessings of God are not going to be ours. And many people today have been taught that grace means I can do my own thing in my own way when and where I please. And that is not what God's Word says. I'm going to show you some other verses in the New Testament now. But the emphasis has always been on the local situation. Some people say, well, that doesn't just mean that local church, Brother Webb. Well, I want you to know that whenever Paul ministered and whenever Jesus ministered, he ministered to the local church. Why didn't he just write one letter to the churches of Asia? He wrote seven letters to seven individual churches to tell them, here's your problem, here's your problem, here's your problem, here's your problem. Now I'm concerned about you as an individual church. God looks at us as individual local bodies. Paul wrote to the church at Rome, the church of Corinth. You say, yeah, but that was a citywide church. That's right, because back in that day they didn't have a chance to split up into all kinds of denominations. But it was still the local thing, and God still calls men into the ministry. He doesn't call methods into the ministry. He calls men into the ministry, and people come and say, I hear God speak when this man preaches. God speaks to me from the Word when this man teaches. 
and I believe this is my shepherd and this is where God wants me to be and I'm going to be obedient in this church, in this fellowship. If you can show me one verse that tells you something else, I'll be glad to listen. I'm taking it from where it began, its inception, all the way through and we're going right on through the New Testament with it now. You'll see that this is what God's Word says. He's not talking about just give to the brethren anywhere. And let me tell you something, I, I'm more and more convinced as I listen to Bill Gothard speak that a lot of these organizations that go around and just advertise all the time and send you mail continuously advertising and begging for money, there's a problem there. Bill Gothard's organization has never advertised, has never begged for a penny, has never sought out anything, but because God's anointing is on that work and they will not receive any tithes from anyone. They literally send back hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of tithes on a weekly basis. They said, that's not ours. That belongs in your local church. God's honoring him because of that. And God should lead us as a body as far as support is concerned, as a local body, where that money should go. C. To whom to give? Galatians 6.6. Galatians 6.6. Romans 15. 25 through 27. In Acts 4.37. Galatians 6.6. 6. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Now in the Living Bible it says those who are taught the word of God should help those teachers by paying them. Now God has placed within the body apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists for the work of the saints. Now the spiritual authority locally would be the apostle or prophet or pastor within this local body bringing in others to minister to you and we as a body minister to them as they minister to us. The scripture says, as they minister to you, you minister to them. As they give to you, you give back to them. All right? Now then, Romans 15, verses 25 through 27. Paul says, But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, for it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. Now get this. The churches in Macedonia, the churches in Achaia, saw the need of helping the poor, persecuted Christian Jews in Jerusalem who were originally responsible for them hearing the gospel. They sent Paul out to preach the gospel, and now they were in need, and so these churches, as bodies, sent money back to... Paul talked to that way. He said the church, uh, them in Macedonia and Achaia, the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, sent back offerings as a group to the Jews in Jerusalem that were in persecution. It hath pleased them verily, for their debtors they are. He says they owe it to them. They help them find the gospel. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. See what he's saying? The Jews in Jerusalem sent us out to preach the gospel to you. Now they're in need. You Christians, let's help them. Let's go back and help them. That's how it's to be used. Acts 4.37. Last verse of chapter 4, verse 37 read verse 36 and Joseph who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas which was being interpreted the son of consolation a Levite and of the country of Cyprus having land sold it and brought the money and laid it at what the apostles feet they brought it to the place where they knew there was their spiritual authority you know today we don't most people don't know where their spiritual authority really is this pastor is my spiritual authority until he steps on my feet or doesn't do things the way I like to and then I'll go to another church and he'll become my spiritual authority. You have no spiritual authority if that's the case. When he starts telling me what I've got to do spiritually and tells me that I'm in disobedience then I'm not going to stick around anymore. Then you don't have a pastor. You don't have a shepherd. In Hebrews the 7th chapter the writer of the Hebrews was talking about the old covenant the old method and the new method. 
And he was talking about Abraham giving tithes to Melchizedek, the children of Israel giving tithes to Levites, the Levites giving tithes to Aaron, always the lesser to the greater. Men giving to men who were servants of God but would die from time to time. And I want you to know when we talk about bringing the money into the Lord's house to support God's work and His servants, we don't believe you're giving it to that servant. You're giving it to the Lord. And that's why when it's misused, you tell the Lord about it and ask Him to correct the thing. Because you're bringing it to the Lord. When you hold back tithes or offerings, I'm not talking about you, but whoever's listening to this tape, if that's what they're doing. If they're holding back tithes out of spite or disobedience, they're not hurting that preacher, they're hurting themselves because they're holding back God's money for His work to be used as He sees fit. It says here in verse 8, And here men that die receive tithes. Who's that now? That was the time when the Jewish people would give tithes to the priests and the Levites in the Old Testament. But it says, And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. May I ask you, do the Jews witness that Jesus liveth? Do the Jews say that he lives? Who witnesses that Jesus Christ lives? And who is to receive those tithes? He receiveth tithes of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. Back in the Old Testament, the Hebrew people gave it to the Levites and they gave it to the Aaronic priesthood. But he says, now, here, today, Jesus Christ is there in heaven and he's receiving our tithes and he's receiving it from those who witness that he lives again. Why? So that the message of the gospel will be proclaimed through them in the support of his ministry. It's separate from the law. It's separate from the commandments. It's separate from the old or new covenant. It is returned by grace. And again, I told you that grace is the ability to do what we ought to do and not the power to do what we want to do. We return it to Christ through His servants for His work and His workers. And so the next question is, where is your spiritual home? I know that there's some people within this body that give. They don't tithe. There's some people that partially tithe because they're giving here and there and the other place and I just simply say, find substantiation for it in your own heart in the Word of God. I don't find it there. Now there may be times that you want to give offerings through this local body as a part of this ministry to others, but you're going right back to what Moses warned the children of Israel not to do when they came into the land. And the Word of God says, we've come into our rest. That was typified by the land of Israel when they came into the holy land, the promised land, flowing with milk and honey. While they're out in the wilderness, God allowed them to do what they wanted to do, do their own thing. He said, now when you get into the promised land, don't you do your own thing. You do what I told you to do. And Hebrews says, we have entered into our rest. Jesus Christ is our rest. Now when you've entered into there, you can no longer do what you want to do. You have the ability to do what you ought to do. And that is to support God's work in His way through the servants that God has placed in authority over you. Malachi, the third chapter, and we're closing. Now, I want to say again, when I get to Malachi, don't you say, oh, yes, Brother Webb, that's under the Old Covenant. I've already shown you it was before the Covenant, all the way through the Covenant, through the New Testament Covenant, and still today. Tithe is not tied to the Covenant. It's tied as a declaration of your total dependence upon God for all your needs every week, that He is your, you're His, and He's yours, and He's your source. It has nothing to do with the other. Malachi, the third chapter, verse 6. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I'll return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, Wherein shall we return? 
What have we done? What are you talking about? We're sons of Abraham. You wouldn't be hitting us. I mean, we're the evangelicals of the evangelical. fact is, we're charismatic. You're not talking to us. You're not going to put us under bondage, brother. We're, no legalism on us. We do our own things. We're still out in the wilderness. See? Will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Lord, how do you know? I don't even know what I'm giving myself. I'm keeping my left hand from knowing what my right hand is doing. How do you know what I'm doing? They had to bring the tithes and offerings to the temple. Listen, ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye part of the tithes into the storehouse. That's the new translation. No. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed for you shall be a delightsome land saith the Lord of hosts. If anyone tells you that tithe is under the old covenant and they're under grace you explain to them what grace is. It's not the power to do what you want to do. It's the ability to do what you ought to do. And God says, I change not. I never have changed. From the very beginning, from Melchizedek on, tithes have always been paid to those doing God's service to support the work of God's work and to support the temple or the house where God's people meet and the work and the ministry that they have to do. And he says, now if you're going to be obedient, you'll do it my way. If you're going to be obedient... You will desire to do it my way very happily. God's word is explicit on this thing. And if you be obedient to God's word, no matter what you feel, now let me say this now, very clearly. If you can't be obedient, and you don't feel the confidence to be obedient in this fellowship, in that manner, then you need to seek God and say, God, I must not be under my shepherd. I've got to find my shepherd. Perfect love casteth out all fear. And I know my calling of God. You have to know your calling of God. And when we're obedient to the Lord, I know the blessings of God are going to be ours. Father, bless this word to our hearts. Correct and instruct us, direct us and guide us, and make us to be above all else obedient saints of God. Tonight I want to just share with you in another area, and that's called the area of fasting now that's another spiritual discipline there are very quickly some things that we can learn when we come into the area of fasting I'm not going to get into it in detail except for you to realize that Jesus didn't say if you fast he said when you fast basically the time for fasting is a time for being quiet before the Lord in meditation and prayer uh, you can either lie around quietly and uh, you know sometimes just getting away from it all if you even fast one meal or two meals just get quiet while you're doing it that's what he talked about but after two or three days you won't have any pain he says when the next pains come it can be an evidence of starvation where you're starting to get you've gone too long and I know of a man that came to me one time was just telling me all about how much he learned in fasting and what he was how he was able to fast for such long times but finally he didn't even know what was happening but he said he had awakened in the middle of the night and his body would just jerk all these different times. And finally, the Lord just spoke to my spirit and says, tell him to quit fasting. He had come to the place where he was starting to starve his body of its nutrients and he was trying to draw it from his own system and there was nothing else there to draw from. And he was coming into a place of physical uh, starvation. 
and dehydration. And so I said, God told me to tell you to quit fasting. And it, I found that before long it had become almost a thing with him to be able to say, I have fasted all these days. But it can be a very, very effective reminder. Fasting can be a reminder of the fact that we have to depend on God every day for our daily bread. Whether that means that we have to expect Him to send the money in every day or not. It is a reminder of the fact that all good and perfect gifts come down from the Father above and it causes us to begin to look to Him in a more precious, intimate way. I find that when I go into a fast, that my consciousness just suddenly seems to turn upward more and more. It's something that every Christian needs to do if it's at all possible. Now, I know there's some that can't do it because of physical reasons, but if you can do it, the doctors right now, by the way, are finding out that, uh, that fasting is one of the greatest methods in many areas of healings. People whose bodies have been filled with poisons and, and all sorts of medications and so forth, they've been able to go on a total water fast for so many days, and all those impurities begin to come out of their body, and they begin to feel freer, and their joints loosen up, and they just really enjoy it. Secondly, be an effective warning. When you go into a fast, you begin to realize a little bit more as what Moses was saying to the children of Israel when he said, Beware, lest when thou hast eaten and are full, thine heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God. Go on to a fast, suddenly God will begin to remind us of areas of our life that we weren't sensitive to before. When I go on to a fast and begin to seek God's face, have him search my heart, suddenly he begins to show me things where I have let down. That can be an effective warning for us. And it will also be an effective illustration of the fact that men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You'll find that you can live very well without bread some days if God will only minister to your spirit. Man's life does not consist of the things that he possesses. It's interesting, as I was reading the paper this week, how one family, evidently fairly affluent family in Mobile, Alabama, said everything is gone, but we're very fortunate because we have one another and we have our lives. You know, sometimes it's good for us to back off and just get quiet before the Lord and fast and seek His face and begin to see life in a new perspective. Now again, I'm going to say to you that fasting can either cause pride or it can cause discouragement or it can cause victory in your life. And we have to be very careful even with that spiritual discipline. I'll tell you one thing, it'll dim the world's attractions to you. The more you cease to live to eat and begin to eat to live only and not eat until you feel like you have to or the Lord says don't fast anymore, the things of this world will grow strangely dim more than you can imagine. It will also sharpen your spiritual awareness. Then I want you to take a look at service, serving Jesus Christ. You know, I really have been asking the Lord to show me how I'm to teach on this, but I've had a deep sense in my heart recently, awareness of the fact that many of us in the body love the Lord with all of our hearts, and we would not miss church for anything if we could possibly help it, We'd be glad to help one another anytime we possibly could, but we have lost that zeal and fervor for either handing out tracts or witnessing to people or sharing with people or talking about the unsaved, having them in your home and witnessing to them and encouraging them. You know, it's much more comfortable to stay right in a, just a Christian circle. Bill Gothard says that you have all sorts of spheres of influence. Out here are people standing all around that you know in, at work and so forth. And, and he just showed a whole bunch of them on a sheet like this. He said, now you pick a select group that you know about and begin to ask God to give you understanding how you over here can witness to them.